What's up, people? This pandemic, coupled with the state of affairs in our country, has played tricks on me this year, but I know I'm not the only one. And one thing I do know is I still have a voice. I still have a story to tell. And my story is my world. It's not all sports. It's not all good. Some of it has been doom and gloom, but God is faithful and he continues to inspire me to inspire others. That leads me to the opening episode of season two on Jay's World. I get on Twitter and I make the mistake of reading the comments. They're rough. And one underrepresented population that feels the heat and I empathize with is black women in broadcasting. They're more than eye candy. They're not even here for our viewing pleasure. They're leaders, bosses, wives, mothers, daughters and sisters. They're queens in all shapes and sizes. And they're not angry black women. That's a played out stereotype. They shouldn't even have to spend the majority of their days defending themselves, yet they do. So this episode features some of my favorite black women in broadcasting. Jovita Moore, the queen of WSB TV in Atlanta. She is nothing but grace. Erica Simon from the ABC affiliate in Houston. She's as real as it gets, trying to walk in her purpose. And Jade Jackson, a young journalist about a year removed from college, but still killing it. Jovita is going to sit with us for about 30 minutes. Her black girl magic superpowers are needed elsewhere, but she's here now, as is Jade and Erica. Jay's World continues after this short break. You're listening to Jay's World Podcast. You can email the show and suggest topics for an upcoming episode. Email Jay at j.gilmore at memphis.edu. Welcome back to Jay's World. Ladies, glad to have you with me. I've thought about this episode for weeks. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. We're going to lead off with you, Jovita. Describe your experience as a black woman in broadcasting. Um, in short, Jay, I'm gonna say that the experience has been great, right? But of course there's you know bumps along the way, a couple of obstacles you have to jump over. Um, but what I found is that what has helped me most through this business um, are mentors, um, networking has helped a lot and also just being as true and genuine as I could possibly be throughout the process. So um, internships also help, um, but this business right now, which a lot of your students may start to feel soon and you may be kind of giving them a heads up, it's changing. Jade may know this as well, that it's shrinking, um, it's getting smaller. We're having to do a lot more with less. Um, newsrooms are changing all around this country, uh, especially this year because of the pandemic. So. The business and the industry that I knew, you know, 20 years ago um, and getting started is much different from what it looks like now. So Jade, the journalist, is a great networker, and she told us a story before we hit the record button about meeting Jovita. Jay, tell Jay's world that story, please. <laughs> so it was uh, NABJ in Miami this time last year, the National Association for Black Journalists. I actually met Jovita at um, an event and so at the event, I was just like, hi, you know, I know who you are, blah, blah, blah. It was actually loud around us. I had no idea if she was even listening, but I was like, you should follow me. And she was like, okay, sure. And so she handed me her phone and then I just made her follow me on all the platforms. <laughs> that was just a cool little story. I could tell my friends like, oh, she follows me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Jay, let me ask you this. What inspired you to enter this broadcasting arena? So... When I was in middle school, I was like 12, 13. Around that time, uh, former President Barack Obama was 
just about to go into the White House. And so there was a special program on CNN called Black in America, hosted by Soledad O'Brien, who was who I kind of looked up to and uh, inspired to be. Um, that kind of gave me like insight a little bit on just being a broadcaster, how to tell a story. And that kind of inspired me because I was super excited to get with my parents and sit down and watch this program on this night, right? And then by the end of the program, my parents were done. They weren't even paying attention to it anymore. I'm still watching it. And then by the time it's over, I go back in the living room or go back into the kitchen, wherever they are. And I'm like, guys, it's over. And they're like, oh, finally, you were still watching it? And I'm like, yes, I think this is what I want to do. And they were just like, good luck. So from there, the rest is history. Erica, talk about your journey in this very, very challenging industry. It's definitely hard. Good evening, everybody. Um, my career started off in Shreveport, Louisiana after college. I went to the Missouri School of Journalism, so I technically was on the air there, but it was a lot of corn and ethanol and farm stuff. So when I went to Shreveport, I was hit the ground running in terms of crime and weather and all of that. Um, after that, I went to Jacksonville, Florida, and then I've been here in Houston for it'll be three years in November. So it's definitely been a journey. There was a period in 2013 that I actually, after my contract ended in Jacksonville one year, I said, you know what? I want to make a difference in the world in a more tangible way. I said, I don't wanna do TV anymore. I wanted to work in nonprofit. I had just come off of a couple of international missions trips where I was you know, seeing the fruit of my work and labor, if you will. And so I thought that's what I wanted to do. I left the business for about five months and you know, really prayed about it and had some soul searching. And um, believe it or not, um, Andrew Young, which of course Javita knows very well, um, he was in St. Augustine, Florida uh, for a story. That's where he and Dr. King and some others were arrested many years ago. And I was kind of telling him a little bit about myself and my journey and, and told him that I was a month away from leaving television. And he said, no, no, you can't do that because years ago, you wouldn't have been allowed to tell our stories and do things the right way. We need you here, you need to play your part. And so I took that with me and I did think about that and realized I didn't miss it and it was bigger than me. And so I went back five months later, helped launch a weekend morning show in Jacksonville, wound up getting married, et cetera, and then continued my career back here in the Lone Star State. I'm originally from Dallas, so this feels kind of like a homecoming, if you will. But there's definitely been challenges, of course, especially with the recent climate. It has been tough being a black woman on the air and having to kind of hold back some of those emotions and raw feelings because at the end of the day, you know, we're still black. We still have black husbands and brothers and friends and um, seeing everything that's been playing out, it has been difficult. But, you know, I think that comes with maturity, learning discernment and wisdom of what to say and when to say it and how to say it. And so I'm learning again that it's bigger than me and in order to get some of these messages across that people really need to hear, I have to be strategic and I have to be intentional with my responses. Great response right there, I'll tell you that. Uh, Jay, let me come to you and ask you about your background in terms of education. What do you feel like you were not prepared for entering your first job? As a black woman, what did you not know entering Shreveport, Louisiana? Everything. <laughs> Literally everything. I feel like everything that they kind of teach conventionally is foundational with school because you kind of just can't teach what we do every day. You just kind of have to do it, you know. Um, but I did kind of reference my teachers and my professors a lot um, after I graduated because I think that they were more helpful after because they were like, oh, yeah, we forgot to touch about this in school, but this is how it is. And because I had to reference them for everything like 
well, hey, how does a contract work? Like, how do you do that? Or, you know, okay, well, when it comes to moving or anything like that, even about budgeting, because when you're starting out, you're not really making a lot of money. So how do we kind of do that while still trying to work? And you obviously have to look a certain way on air and all of that too. So if anything, it, it was it was new lessons that needed to be learned, new lessons that needed to be taught, and they're only taught with experience. Jovita, this is your career path, but was there ever a time when you wanted to do something else? Actually, short answer, no. Um, so I think that's probably a blessing, right? I have okay. not... Um, figured out anything that I would rather be doing. And trust me, there were days when I thought about it, like, is there something else I need to be doing? Um, but honestly, my career has been rewarding um, and I've learned a lot and I continue to learn a lot. Of course, this year changes so much for me as well um, in this business. And I think that there's always, like there's always another lesson, there's always another challenge, there's always another goal. Um, so no, there's there's not anything that I could think of that would be, a good substitute um, for me at this time. And so I'm happy to stay here for as long as they'll have me. Can you talk about earlier in your career when doubt did creep in and how did you handle doubt? Absolutely. So um, I was born and raised in New York City, right? So the first job that I got was not too far from Memphis over in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And so you take this big city girl, all I knew was New York City um, for the most part, and then you put her in a small place like Fayetteville, Arkansas. So it was culture shock in a lot of ways. I was the only um, black woman in the market at that time. And there were a lot of things that were just different. And so, yes, I had my doubts. Um, I, I doubted the roommate I was living with. I doubted the people I was working with all of a sudden, you know, just you're thrown into this completely different part of the country even. So yeah, I had my doubts, but every time I was faced with something that made me think like, maybe I should just go back to New York. Maybe I should take that job as a producer. Maybe I should do something different. Back then, um, I would always just say, no, I don't want to, I'm gonna persevere. And I really started to feel like whatever issues um, that I was facing or faced with, I felt like it was more of their problem. It was their problem, it wasn't my problem. I was doing my job every day. I was getting praise from my managers. I didn't worry about the other people around me. And, and I know that may sound um, a little tricky to do, but I just figured like I was here to be the best reporter I could be in that market, I wasn't gonna worry about what the other reporters were doing or saying, even though we're all supposed to be a team and working together, I had to sort of ignore that and not let them be a distraction because I kind of felt like maybe they were trying to be a distraction to me, right? Um, they didn't wanna see me succeed as much as I wanted to and that, that stayed my main focus. And I knew that I wanted to be successful. It was a small market. I wanted to get in and get out and keep it moving. And that's what I had to do. With the climate of our country, how is it possible to find balance and professionalism reading these stories day in and day out at the anchor desk? And, you know, so piggybacking off of what both of them just said, um, it is a lot of learning by doing every day, but at the same time, we know that representation matters, right? So we have to be here and we have to remember the bottom line is regardless of how difficult the story might be personally to me or how emotional I may be, I've got to be a professional first and foremost. Um, and, and, you know, 
and what's tricky about that too, Jay, is what we've all learned this year too, and with the advent of social media, you know, our viewers say they want us to be relatable. They want to feel like we're not just talking heads and that we do have emotions and feelings. So it has become, so that line has gotten um, broader and it's maybe become more gray, right? Um, so as much as I try to stay professional, I know that I have certainly had my moments where I probably got maybe a little too emotional for my own comfort but the flip side of it is that the reaction from the viewers um has been we're right there with you we get it we understand you know viewers here know that i have children and i have a brown son and i have a brown daughter you know so when we talk about these things going on in the world yes husbands brothers sons it's all of that our uncles our neighbors our best friends you know our our black men and so 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 viewers appreciated knowing that I was impacted by what I was seeing happening in downtown Atlanta on a particular night, right? So, but at the same time, it's also been challenging. And, and I know the ladies will agree with me on this too, because we've had um, this, the way this news cycle happened during this pandemic, we had this like run of what, five o'clock news conferences happening from the White House. And we'd have an hour of a news conference where we know that mm, not everything was factual, not everything was accurate, not everything was correct that was just said. And my job as a journalist, regardless of the color of my skin, is to fact check, right? I, I, I'm so, I, and I'm expected, when you watch me, you expect me to give you facts. And it became really difficult to sit and listen to something for say an hour or 90 minutes and not be able to fact check it. So, so that became tricky and when I did fact check it, my emails blew up from people who said to me, how dare you? How dare you try to fact check the president? And that was something I did not expect. And, but I had to remain professional. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna take a breath because I know that I did my job. And I feel like when you get those responses as well, regardless of what side they're falling on, when you get such emotional responses, you've done your job the right way. And I had to just say, you know, I'm not even going to answer those emails. I'm going to continue on with this newscast and I'm going to do my job. But I know that everything I just said was factual and was accurate and was correct. And the bottom line is that's what our viewers deserve, whether you like it or not, depending on how you how you look at this situation. So um, it's been hard um, to toe that line. It's been hard to stay objective on so many things. But I think the bottom line is we have to. And if we let out a little bit of, you know, if people are reminded that, yeah, Jovita is a black woman with children who cares about her community, then so be it. But at the same time, I've not regretted anything that I've said or perhaps expressed on the air these past few months because it's either been my real emotion or it's been a fact. And, and I think that's what my job is about. Erica, along those same lines, what does your email inbox and your DMs look like when it comes to viewers? You do not want to know. <laughs> they are definitely spicy. Um, you know, here in conservative Texas, people are still, you know, very much red. And, and just like Javita said, if there's anything to do with the president, it could literally be a headline posted with a web link from our site, no commentary whatsoever, and people go insane because if it's negative, which is not our fault if it's true, but if it's negative and incorrect or whatever the case, then people go insane. And when I say negative, 
just like she said, it could be something that he said that was completely off the wall or just not true or whatever. So when it comes to politics, people here get nuts. Yes, the larger cities, the Dallas's, the Houston's, the Austin's, et cetera, they're very much democratic and very diverse, but for the most part, the state is still very conservative. And so, yeah, we hear it. I get, I get a lot. I get a lot of nasty social media stuff. Jade, you're very active on social media. How do you decide when to respond and when not to respond to a troll? I just never respond because I kind of, I think you can figure out where they're coming from. I, my philosophy is always, if you ask me a question and I feel like it's a genuine question, I love to educate as well as just kind of start a dialogue. But the minute that I kind of feel like people are trolling, I just kind of check out. I'm just like, hmm. You know, so. The Lord's uh, not done with me yet in that area. So <laughs> I'd love to say that I had that same track record, but there have been some times that I have talked a little, you know, <laughs> uh, fill in the blank to some people. It's been a very classy clapback, but it, it you know. And, and it, it's usually when I'm at my wit's end with something. For example, I accidentally went viral when I was pregnant and uh, somehow I made like people and daily mail and all this stuff. It was viewers who were just saying like, you know, oh my gosh, are you pregnant with twins? Are you due any day? So on and so forth. And so I just politely said, I understand that I'm petite and, you know, gaining a bowling ball is very startling and it appears that I've gained a lot of weight, but that's because I'm carrying a child. And so, you know, I'd appreciate it if y'all chill. And so somehow it became a headline, you know, news anchor claps back at body shamers. And it just became this whole big thing when I really didn't even think it was that deep because I wasn't rude in my response, but I did respond after it was like a million, you know, comments. So kudos to Jade. <laughs> <laughs> you are blessed, girlfriend. Keep it up. We'll keep trying. <laughs> And it's hard not to respond. Social media is such a big deal and it's a big part of our lives, whether we like it or not. Um, we do it, certainly we don't do it because we want to. I think y'all would agree with me. We do it because we have to. We do it because we're representing those call letters and we're representing that brand. But I think what we can also probably all agree on too is that people say stuff, and Jay, you know this, people say stuff on Twitter that they would never say to you in your face or they would mm -hmm. never say to you in, in polite conversation. And so it's really hard to separate that I'm still a person, right? I still have feelings. I know this is Twitter, but don't talk to me that way. And sometimes it's really hard to separate the two, particularly if you are innocently carrying a child, right? I, and I didn't ask for those comments. I didn't ask you to comment on my weight gain. I didn't ask you to comment on what I look like in this dress. Lord knows I didn't ask you to comment on my hair. But you know, people will do it and, and there's always a point and I'm, I, I'm, I'm split in between, right? Because sometimes I just ignore them like Jay does. And then sometimes I'm like, nope, wait, you know what? I got time right now <laughs> right now let me say what I'm gonna say and then I'm kind of like I'm done I said what I said and I'm finished you know and and it's it's unfortunate because honestly they put us in those positions and I think yes they do it because they're trolling they do it because they want to get a response they do it because they think that innocently they didn't say anything wrong 
or they didn't say anything insulting. It was just a question, you know, but you're like, no, 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 no. But let's make it clear, you know, and it, and it's, that's another line that we have to toe and it's not always difficult to do so. Um, yeah, I had an incident earlier this year where someone said something about me and I was just like, hold on, it's two o'clock in the morning and I am literally sitting in my bed right now. I'm not even on the air, but you're complaining about me and, and I happened to get tagged on it. So I was like, let me, let me respond. Let me respond right now. So it's and it's 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 hard not to because again, this is stuff that wouldn't you wouldn't not respond in person, and this is stuff that people normally probably wouldn't say to you, but they choose to say it, and you feel like you have to defend yourself too. You know? Yeah. You know we, as we have this discussion, I'm thinking about two things. I'm thinking about number one, Erica being with child, and dudes want to body shame. But I'm also thinking about racism. I was in Laredo, Texas one day, and um, I went to cover a high school football game, and someone from the student section called me the N-word. Um, and it, 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 it caught me off guard. Now, this is before social media. This is 20 years ago. But in today's climate, in today's climate, and anyone, this question is for anyone, how do you handle because I wouldn't even call this person a troll, but how do you handle the rhetoric, the racism rhetoric that may come your way? Still being new and kind of young in this industry, obviously Little Rock is my next uh, part of my journey. And I know it's a bigger city. And Shreveport, I kind of didn't have to deal with anything like that just because of the community there was kind of tight knit and predominantly African-American. I if anything, that's what I'm thinking about too, is how do I handle a new audience that might be different or might think different, might be a little bit more diverse. Um, so I'm just throwing that out there because I don't know if maybe the other two ladies can attest to it or have anything to say, because that's actually a question that I am like asking myself right now is kind of how, how will I handle that? Erica, so. what are your thoughts? Well, my dad taught me a lesson when I was in college that still sticks with me. And despite my clapbacks at times, for the most part, I choose to go Jade's route and do the education route. So I went to, as I said, the Missouri School of Journalism and Mid-Missouri was super lily white at the time the university was. And so my freshman year of college, I'll never forget it. There was a girl, she didn't know my name. She didn't know me from Adam and Eve. This was literally the first week of class. She asked me, had I ever seen a shooting? And I thought that was a little ironic, you know, as a icebreaker, like, had I ever seen a shooting? But based on more comments that she made, based on looks and various things, oh, I've never seen a black person with freckles, this is that. Long story short, turns out she had literally never gone to school with Blacks, interacted with Blacks, been around anybody that was non-white. She was from a small farm community in Illinois. And so I remember calling home and telling my parents, come pick me up right now. Like, I don't want to be here. This culture shock ain't it. Forget this journalism thing. I got to get up out of here. And so my dad said, no, you know, you stand in the gap and, and you educate. You show her grace. She's ignorant by default. She literally doesn't know any better. And even if she does, she still has something lacking in her. You stand there and you educate her. And because she is expecting to see an angry black woman who comes from some you know, impoverished environment that's crime ridden and that's all that she expects of black people. You, you know, have to educate her, it's almost like your duty. 
So I've taken that approach since then. And so, uh, yeah, I like to politely educate people as best I can. If somebody were to do that to me, like you said in Loretta, I would probably laugh. That would be my <laughs> first reaction. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's tiring, it's taxing, it's mentally draining. We shouldn't have to do it. But if not us, who, right? If we've been elevated to platforms to speak and people listen, if we've been educated and given wisdom enough to be in these scenarios and respond accordingly, then let's do it. I like to say, well, let's just, you know, let's just, like my dad said, you stand in the gap and you do what you got to do. It's unfortunate, but we do it for as long as we have to do it. Jade, you're the youngest one here. Do you know who Little Bill is? <laughs> yes. Jovita? Yes. The cartoon. The cartoon? So Erica talked about laughing if that Laredo story happened to her. Here's a story from Laredo that did make me laugh. The population is 95% Hispanic, 4% white. Now you do the math, 95 and four. So one day I go over to my neighbor's house and I knock on his door. A little boy answers the door, five or six years old, and he looks at me and he looks at his parents and he says, is that little Bill? He had never in his life seen a black person. The only representation of a black person that he'd ever seen came from a cartoon and it was Little Bill. Jovita, you're about to leave us, so I'll get in this question really quickly. You mentioned that representation matters. As I looked across the landscape of different TV station websites trying to find black women in broadcasting, the numbers were very low. Why don't our newsrooms look like our markets? I think it depends on the market um, because so the flip side of what you're saying is here in Atlanta, I think we get really spoiled, right? Because there's, <laughs> there are- And Memphis, and Memphis. Right, exactly, right. So you get a little spoiled because you're like, there's nothing but black people on TV. Right. So I think it depends on the market. I think it depends on the ownership of that station um, and you know the community. And, and here in Atlanta, I think I can say all of the TV stations across the board are um, really responsible about being representative of the, the community here. Um, and it's been, you know, like Erica's story with Andy Young, you know, it's, it's been one of those things that has happened here. Someone here at WSB decided, you know, years ago, we needed a black male on, on TV. Like, let's find a black man to put him on television who's qualified. I, you know, I'm not saying you go to a street corner, but, you know, they found a black man who was talented and he was a reporter and that's how it all started here in Atlanta and then of course you know then enter black women as far as being anchors as well so I think it's 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 up to the ownership and, and the management of those TV stations to make it happen it's it's really hard to, to say um, that we don't have representation but I will say overall yes our numbers remain small because when you think about TV stations across the country it is different I, I went to San Francisco a year ago and I'm going where are the black people, <laughs> right? Because there are none on TV. San Francisco is mostly gonna be Asians um, on television. And yes, you see a lot of gay white men on TV news in San Francisco, but they're also you know, representing their, their demographics there. So, it, so I think a lot of it is the city that you're in. And yes, I've worked in Memphis where it was the same thing. You know, Memphis was very representative of its community. Um, so, so I think all of that plays a part, but overall, yes, our numbers are still small. And I think what has to happen to now going forward is as we see our industry shrink and we see our newsroom shrink, I think the burden is now on our management and our ownership to, to keep those numbers balanced and fair and representative um, while we make cuts um, as so many TV stations are doing. So I think the challenge, you know, we have to watch how they answer that challenge now. 
Jovita, I only got you for two more minutes, so I'm going to stay with you for a second. Okay. What has this industry taught you about yourself? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, probably that I am stronger than I ever imagined <laughs> in a lot of ways. And just very quickly, I want to tell Erica, thank you for sharing her story. Because when I talked about that small market in Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, my coworker was from the University of Missouri, born and raised in Texas, had never been around black people either. So I can very much relate to what you're saying. Um, but except instead of meeting her as a freshman, I met her when she graduated. Um, I was coming out of Columbia and she was coming out of Mizzou. And you know, by the end of our first year, we were like oil and water. So I think what this business has taught me is, um, yeah, that I was probably way more stronger as that young reporter um, just coming out of college than, than, I, than I knew that I was, you know, and that resilience. Um, and then also it is important for me to be here um, to make sure that things are fair and balanced and to have a voice in this newsroom so that when we're covering stories I am that one adding my two cents if I'm in the call you know now everything is on a conference call but whether I'm in a call or on person I'm gonna add my two cents about it and maybe I've missed it in the meeting and then once the story airs you know if I have something to say about it I'm gonna send you an email like you could have done better or you know I know there was somebody else you could have interviewed or you know, did you have to show the man with no teeth? I mean, whatever it is, let's have that conversation, you know, um, because I feel that, that, that that's the reason why I'm here. Um, and to help, if, if I got to help raise everybody up to a certain standard, or just keep in mind, keep diversity in mind when you go out to do your stories. If I need to remind you of that, then I'm happy to do it. So I, I know that said a lot and I'm running out of time. But Jovita, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it. Nice to meet y'all. Jade, good to see you. You're listening to Jay's World Podcast. Jay's World is brought to you by 5G Media and Gilmore Financial Services. Do you need your taxes done? Contact GFS at Gilmore Financial Services at Comcast.net. Erica, explain to me what representation looks like from your viewpoint. Kind of like Jovita said, it's people who look like you. It's people who have a diverse group of thought a diverse group of background and ethnicity. I think, you know, when we just have too much of one thing, there's no way that you're going to be, I think, empathetic to others or think outside the box or really push yourself to say, you know what, maybe that's not the case with this group. Maybe that's not how all of these people are. So you have to have your seat at the table. You have to have a voice because I'm a firm believer that first of all, only God can change some people's hearts. That is true. But I do also think that we play an important role because with the way that we humanize people of color or marginalized groups, that can create empathy, that can create compassion, that can create a, huh, well, I didn't realize that, you know, they think just like I do or whatever the case. But the more that we do that, the more we have people who are telling those types of stories and representing these groups, whether we're in them or not, whether we just simply have the backbone to say, no, I am going to speak about this homeless population, I am gonna speak about this community or so on and so forth, then I think that it starts, like I said, chipping away at empathy and compassion and ultimately starts changing hearts. You have to have changed hearts and mindsets in order to change some of that racism and bigotry. You have to. If you don't reach it at the core, it's not gonna change. So the value of representation is key, especially now. But I, I would say for the simple answer, representation is, is what your community looks like. It's what the new America looks like. It's no longer just staunchy, conservative white men. 
that ain't it. Representation is every single group, indigenous, Latino, Asian, African. Here in Houston, we have one of the largest Nigerian populations in America. I think it's only second to the New York City metro area. So it, it's, it's people who can think differently and have different perspectives and add to a greater whole for a greater and higher level of thinking. How do you feel or do you feel you have to do things differently because you're a black woman? Always. Um, honestly, I think that a lot of what happens in different newsrooms can sometimes be contributed back to the diversity of the management as well, because you can have so many teams that are diverse, but when you have management, the people who have the power to say what goes on the newscast or um, the power to say what we deem is important for our coverage, then you're kind of stuck in a sticky place. And I think if you have more management that kind of look like you too, um, it could be an easier transition and it could be an easier kind of journey, at least when you're in the newsroom to tell like community stories personally. Um, Cause I think at the end of the day, it's easier for say, if you're a white man, who's a news director and you hire me and then you hire another young white man that looks like you i think it's very simple and very easy to empathize and sympathize with the young man that looks like you because you can see yourself in that young man versus this girl that you have no idea her background what she's about she seemed good so you just kind of hired her on a whim and everything else that maybe might come with her might be a bit confusing or it might be questioning or it might be you know that's not what I want, even if she's bringing a different perspective or idea or creativity or whatever the case may be, you know, so when you have management, night like my old boss in Shreveport, like, uh, we still talk to this day. And I, I always kind of credit him because I'm like, you kind of made it easier, you know, just for me to feel like I can come knock on your door, you made it easier for me to feel like I can talk if I had a problem with what's going on in the newsroom, any grievances. And I don't think that you get that in a lot of newsrooms, you know, and even uh, the new job that I'm heading towards this is my first time having a female news director. So we're going to kind of see how that is. Cause I know that that's also going to be different. I didn't talk to Jovita about family. How do you balance husband, children, live shots? Like how do you balance it all? It's difficult. It's kicking my butt as we speak, and I'm actually about to start therapy, okay? <laughs> it's, it's extremely, this is the most difficult season of my life. Um, I think naturally, as journalists, we're all type A, we're all perfectionists, and there's a lot that's out of my control. Um, so I'm what you consider a hybrid. So I anchored the weekend morning show, and I only report three days a week, but those three days a week kick my tail. And I often sometimes, because we live out in a suburban area of Houston and Houston traffic is crazy, which is why I'm late. Um, so getting home at like eight o'clock, time for the baby to go to sleep. You don't see your kid, you're sad about that. With all of the violence and craziness and, and, and insanity going on recently, um, you know, that weighs on you driving home. And so by the time you unwind, get the baby in the bath, maybe make dinner, maybe you order out, depending on whatever, walk the dog, it's 10 o'clock, you tired, 
And so, you know, and you have a husband say, well, what about me? Which is completely fair. So it's like everything is kind of off balance in this industry. My husband travels a lot for his career. And so that's difficult. I'm having to juggle a nanny and making sure that the baby and her are straight before I go to work. And then I'm worrying about them during the day. And then I'm trying to do it all full circle. It's a lot. I went through postpartum depression really bad after I had my daughter. And I just didn't feel comfortable with anything, how I looked anymore, how I felt. I was crying all the time. I wasn't getting enough rest. I was a zombie. And although that's a common thing, having postpartum and then going back on the air, <laughs> good luck. Like, it's rough. And so I'm just now, my daughter is 20 months. I'm just now, almost two years later, about to start therapy, long overdue therapy. And, um, you know, balancing it, I thank God that I have a supportive family. I thank the Lord that I have, you know, a faith system and something to rely on in times where I feel hopeless. And so that is how I'm managing it. I don't think I'm doing it very well, but I am taking steps to do it better. And then I'm learning to prioritize my mental health. If there's a day where I'm like, look, I just can't do it today, period, point blank. No, nobody's sick, nobody's whatever, but I'm just not mentally able to come today. Just can't, can't do it. So um, I'm learning to do that even more and then just not put so much pressure on myself. If I had it my way, I would be perfect at everything and that's impossible. There's just no way I can't carry that load. I'm, I'm not gonna be the perfect wife, mother, journalist, with this, you know, Instagram following and, 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 you know, video vixen body and all, it's just not going to happen. Okay. So I'm learning to take that off of me, but it is difficult. It's the most difficult season of my life. I appreciate you so much for being so transparent, so open because you could have gave me a, an official answer. You know what I'm saying? You could have been like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But that was, you know, like you say, a lot of journalists, are struggling just because of the climate. When you throw in that home life and those, that, those, that real, those real life situations, you know, but that testimony is what'll bless people. You know, that testimony is what people will hear and that'll give them the courage to know they don't have to be hopeless and they can get through to that next phase of success in their life. My um, husband, really quickly, my husband told me something recently and it's so true. He said, Erica, when you're not balanced, nobody's balanced. The family's not balanced. I need you in whatever capacity that looks like for you to get balanced. If that means you check yourself into a hotel for a day, if that means you call, you know, you call off work for a day, whatever that looks like, you need to figure out a way to be balanced because everything else is thrown off. Then my work's affected. Then home life's affected. Then a dog upset, everybody upset. So I have to figure out a way to recalibrate and get it together and realize it's okay not to be superwoman. Black women, we have so much mm -hmm. on us. We have yeah. to be everything to everybody and have a beat face doing it and just be bomb all the time, okay? <laughs> it is tiring. So I'm learning those tools to reset, to take care of my mental space, my physical space, eat healthier, work out more, all of that. I'm gonna have to probably put a, a gym in my, garage here at the house probably because I don't even have time to go to the gym anymore um, because of a traveling husband. So again, learning those tools is, is key um, to survival. And at this point, it is okay at times to be in survival mode and a reset mode. We have to give ourselves grace enough to do that. Mm. Last question for you, Jade. What are you trying to get out of this industry? Where do you want to go? How far do you want to go? Share that with me for a second. You know, 
<laughs> I don't know if I can do it, but maybe I can inspire someone else who can. I remember at one point early on, uh, I was still in college and you know how you make friends in NABJ and you just kind of like, you know, get your circle, get your tribe. I remember we were all talking one day and I, I'm super passionate about like what we were talking about earlier, just educating people. I'm super passionate about media literacy. I'm super passionate about our industry because I kind of see where the negatives are. And I'm like, well, what can we do to fix those problems? You know, granted, I'm just a MMJ, I'm a reporter, but maybe someday going through this journey, I can see those problems and try to figure out a solution. So some of my friends call me, they joke with me and say, oh, are you trying to be a superhero of journalism? And I'm like, maybe. Like they said it as a joke, but now I'm really thinking about it. I don't know if I want to be a news director. I don't know if I want to get out of the industry, own my own news station. Um, I don't know if I, like I said, the life goal, going back to, to Jarvis and trying to figure that out. Um, I do know that no matter what I do, I want to make an impact um, personally and just kind of leave my mark the same way I'm sure anybody does in this industry. Um, but I want to leave it in a way that hasn't been left before so when i was your Maybe. age when i was your age i had no idea that i would become a college professor thought i would be on tv forever but after working 10 years on christmas day which is my <laughs> birthday as well i was like you know what i cannot oh, be doing this. it was okay before i had children but after my wife had you know baby number three and i'm, ha I'm having to leave on christmas day it just it psh, teaching works for me i haven't worked a christmas in 10 years Erica, what advice would you give your younger self or what advice would you give my young African-American female students? You got this, sis. Show yourself grace and just stay in the fight. You can't win the lottery unless you play. You can't win the race unless you run. And we are in a very, very, very important race in this journalism game in terms of educating people, in terms of breaking those stereotypes, in terms of being the best black selves that we can be. So maybe that is somebody's poster child at their station, who cares, whatever. At least you got the platform, use it wisely. And know that you don't have to be perfect at everything. You're gonna have some valleys, but you're also gonna have some mountaintops. And during those valley seasons, reset, regroup, start again, keep getting up, but you have to stay in the fight. You have to, because the calling is bigger than you and we need people in the newsroom, in front of the camera, behind the camera, making the decisions and kicking in those doors and really kicking in through people's living rooms and saying, here we are, we are human, we are intelligent, we are amazing, we are entrepreneurs, we are family members, we are uh, tech savvy, we are all of those things. Free, So you have right. to do your part. Just like Andrew Young told me, you have to do your part, period. He's like, I don't know why, what, what, what are we discussing here? Getting out, I'm sorry, that's not an option. <laughs> so do your part, play your role, and it is okay not to be perfect. And it's okay not to be okay. I think so much has revealed to us recently that we have to take better care of ourselves and our mental well-being. A lot of us have really been unraveling lately with all of the killings and everything going on, the pandemic, the stresses of that, trying to keep kids alive, you know, all of that. So yeah, it's okay not to be okay and, and to regroup when you need to and, and put up your hand and say, I need a little help and I need a little time to, to reset. That's okay. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to make it to CNN tomorrow. It's going to be okay. Just play your part, 
and grind where you are and your season will come. And then the last thing I would say, and I learned this in Shreveport, Jade, sometimes your current job or current station, like they don't determine your value, period. Okay, they don't determine your worth. They don't determine what you bring to the table. So even if you're in a situation or a job where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. People say I need to do better. I suck, all that, forget all that. The, your current place never determines your value. So on this episode of Jay's World, Erica gets the last word. Nothing else will be said for Jay, the journalist, for Jovita and for Erica. I'm Jay Gilmore. This has been Jay's World. Thanks for listening to Jay's World Podcast. You can email the show and suggest topics for an upcoming episode. Email j at j.gilmore at memphis.edu.